watching or listening to episode 17 of VIP Boxing's Bell to Bell podcast. You can watch us on VIP YouTube or search for us on Spotify or on iTunes now, and you can find us there. Um, listen to us on the way to work whenever you want. Um, I'm Steve Lillis. As usual, we have my co-host, top boxing journalist, John Evans. Our very special guest this week is a, is a brilliant boxing journalist. He's forgotten more than most people know. I'm not exaggerating there, Ron Lewis. And the ultimate, the ultimate compliment, Ron, was just before we come on on this Zoom, you were the third person on it, when John Evans said to me, um, uh, when John said, when he was on Boxing Matters, if you, he knew he had to up his game that week because you was on. <laughs> so thanks for coming on, Ron. It's very, very kind of you. And I hope things are treating you well in lockdown and QPR are winning, even though you and your, your son are not there to cheer him on at the moment. No, things go, things go okay. I mean, you know, they always say, also, I'm going to go to a management course once and I worked on local papers and I got sent on a management course and they said, don't waste time worrying about things you can't control. And um, I try and live by that. And it's tricky sometimes, but, you know, I'm, I'm working. Everyone's healthy. We all, we all got through COVID before Christmas. It was actually straight after the Joshua yeah. fight. I went to the Joshua fight and the Monday afterwards, I got I got diagnosed with COVID. And um, <laughs> that's that great super spreader event. And um, <laughs> so, you know, but we're all well and I can't wait for a good year. And I'm thinking it's going to be a good year. I hope so. You okay, John? You're only down the road from me. I could kick a ball to where you are. Yeah, I'm, I'm good, Steve. Like Ron said, it, every day at the minute, it's a day closer to getting out of this lockdown, yeah. isn't it? So the end's coming now. We've nearly got through it. It's mad. I was only small on my Facebook pops up. Um, a year today, my last Fulham away game and my last gig a year today. It's nuts what, you know, how unexpected, you know, to be this severe it was. And there were just whispers of it um, last year. And I think, you know, but anyway... Boxing's, boxing's alive from this weekend, and uh, we're here on Bell to Bell. Six topics, three minutes each round, and if you're still chatting after 180 seconds, what happens, John? The bell comes in. Whether you're well, mid-sentence, mid-point... John, John's very serious with that bell. Trust me, he doesn't mess. Um, right, round one over to you, John. Yeah, let's get the timer going. Right, so um, let's start off with the, the sad death of Neon Leon Spinks. Now, I, I've, I've got a big soft spot for the unpredictable heavyweights of the 70s, 80s, 90s. They're probably my favourite group of people to speak to and things like that. And uh, Leon fit the bill, didn't he? But apart from watching his fights with Ali and Holmes, I've learned most of the things I know about Leon from this book. It's called One Punch from the Promised Land. It's by John Florio and no. uh, Weezy Shapiro. It's the best boxing book I've ever read. Now it's called John. I'm not even. I've got that. Got one punch from the promised land. Um, it's eye-opening. It's fantastic. The detail the guys have gone into about Leon and Michael growing up in St. Louis is fantastic. Um, by the end of it, you'll be wondering whether Leon did underachieve or whether he actually overachieved, considering how little time he actually spent boxing. He had plenty of other things going on, Leon. But um, a real unpredictable guy. Let's not forget he was a heavyweight champion of the world when it meant something. And a, a, a sad loss. And, you know, I think, you know, also that Olympic gold medal, you go back to that 76 team, Ron would tell you everything there is to know about them, but there was himself, his brother, Ray Leonard as he was then, Howard Davis and Leo Randolph. And I think Davis was the only one that never won a world title. Randolph might have held something briefly. I think he did. But 
you know what? But the thing, you know, back in those days, what you know, you can see the out what the shock when he beat Ali. I think it was twenty once months after winning an Olympic gold, and uh, I was reading an obituary in the Guardian on him, and um, you know. When he said there, my life was cocaine, weed, cars and women, I enjoyed it. I think that answers a lot, John, to what you uh, referred to there about, you know, underachieved, overachieved. And uh, what was said, he kept, but he was boxing on and was he used and abused until nothing was left of him? Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously it's a sad case. It's a case of someone who got too famous, almost too young. I mean, he yeah. was like, what, 24 when he won the title, but it's so early in his career. I mean, in that Olympic, I mean, he'd been in the Marines before he went to the Olympics for um, for four years or something. And um, he also, I mean, people forget what they do, but he knocked out, or he flattened a decent Cuban in, in that Olympics to do it. It was no easy thing. He was he was light heavyweight. Uh, heavyweight was, was Stevenson. And, and yeah, the trouble is, obviously, he got really famous. He made a, a fortune. I mean, the equivalent of, I think it's the equivalent now he made in the rematch of $14 million. And um, obviously, that's going to change your life. And when you come from the background he did, the sort of horrible projects he grew up in, it, you know, he, he got a big entourage and he gave lots of money away and he, he blew the rest kind of thing, didn't he? So, yeah, it's a, it, when, when it's you also think small it, for a heavyweight as well, obviously. Yeah, when you look at his style of fighting, it was all done on all out aggression and non stop punching. Mm. And for him to get dragged out of, um, God knows what kind of houses where it was going on on literally the day of a fight sometimes and just putting that work rate. You know, Leon was uh, probably a bit of an underrated fighter. But there we go. End of round one. Round two is um, Basha Breland. Mark Breland uh, <coughs> fighting back at Deontay Wilder. Um, I don't really know Mark. I mean, I've only been around him once and that was when Deontay Wilder fought in Sheffield. Um, I know Ron's been a lot around. I mentioned this to Ron today. Um, and I I'm surprised he kept quiet and, uh, and as long as he has over this, you know, before having his go back at Deontay Wilder, you know, and I think he's more entitled to have had his say. I mean, what must must be hurting him is not just Deontay, because he, he really went in two-footed on him, but members of that team who he's been around from years who have, like, just dismissed him, that must be really hurtful. And, uh, you know, he was hung out to dry out after that. Look, we all know what would happen in the, in the Fury fight. The referee, well, I'm sure, would have stopped it very soon after. And I'm wondering, you know, in that camp, was it a, a, a camp where the towel wags the dog as such and everyone just wants to keep their job? Because I, I'm surprised he waited this long. I think he's right to have had his say because he was really kicked. He was. I think I, I went I was went to the camp, not for that fight, but for the first fight. And and I remember watching, actually let, let me watch uh, Wilder Spar. And I've never seen a heavyweight with such bad balance in the sparring. He was sparring Malik Scott, I remember, and also had Junior Farr in there who, who was sparring him. And um, he, he was kind of falling over on his punches in sparring. And I, I found it really sort of bizarre. I mean, it's a strange old thing because on the one hand, if you take out the emotion of Chucky in the towel and you say, maybe it wasn't because of that. If you were a wilder and you performed like that against Fury and you had ambitions to get back, it's not a big shake to say, I'm going to change trainer. I mean, everyone feels sorry for the trainer, and we know a lot of trainers, and they, they but but it kind of comes with the territory sometimes. A boxer gets one career, and it, and the, the problem is, is I think the way the rest of the team, not so much Wilder, the rest of the team sort of circled around and said, "Well, it's down to him." There must have been people knew how sort of rough and ready he was, and 
the moment I kind of thought Fury's good, because originally after that Otto Wallin fight and that sort of thing, I kind of thought maybe Fury's, um, you know, <laughs> maybe those punches took a bit of an effect of him and, in, in the first fight. But then when he was talking about he was changing and, and he talked about balance. And that was that was a really sort of key thing because, you know, Wilder just didn't have any. That was the amazing thing. How he got that, that amount, amount of power with that little balance, with that ground your feet probably is kind of incredible you might imagine if they actually talking to box guy properly and actually got him a decent jab how powerful he could be but also wilder i think um i mean um what they were saying was he, he has lots of injuries as well and i don't think he gets to train that much and um so you know you can't wilder looks like a guy looking for one last payday doesn't he kind of at the moment but yeah, it's sad because it's a name for our past as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, Come on, Ron, your first Before we're on to your first magazine. Is there, I think there's a ring to something here. Ring magazine belt. This is one of the things that's been chucked up recently. As a, about, oh, everyone's having to go to the WBC, the WBA, you know, the IBF. Let's, let's get together and make the ring magazine belt the big championship of the world. This comes around every sort of 10 or 15 years. And, and you know, remember when Kawasaki fought Hopkins? That was for the ring magazine belt. And that's kind of time. I'm sure Manny fought, Pacquiao fought for it as well. And Ricky probably did as well. But it, it's kind of nonsense because at the end of the day, the ring magazine isn't the ring magazine it was in the 1950s. It isn't like the Nat Fleischer. It doesn't have that gravitas anymore. The ring magazine is owned by Golden Boy Promotions. It is, at the end of the day, an American-based magazine. And it has good pieces in it. I'm not knocking that. I'm not knocking the journalism in it. But suddenly, they're in charge of world boxing. You know, it's a tough thing. And it goes back to this like, also networks got together. The problem with all the WBA belts and stuff and all these extra belts and why people don't give a British and European titles and they make up IBF and WBO European titles and intercontinental titles and interim belts and regular belts and that sort of thing. Network gave it to us. It's because of networks. You know, you go back 15 years here and we were getting served up Saturday night from the Harvey Haddon Leisure Centre for the WBF World, you know, World Worldweight title. Those are the kind of things we got when we got rid of some of that. But because the constant network and TV demand for we need a title, we need a title. That's why these titles got invented. It is never good. Uh, whatever the question is, the answer is never add another belt. It's just never. That's never the answer. Yeah. And, and what they need to actually do is... You know, they need to, and, and it just comes out, I think the bottom line is good ratings. One of the problems with the IBF, the IBF stick by the rules, but the IBF ratings are terrible. So they end up with eliminators with terrible fighters in them who, who then get mandatory. So a, a good fighter is forced to often face someone who kind of doesn't deserve it. And what they actually need is independent rankings, which actually reflect, regardless of belts or whatever they hold, what is the top 10 in the world? If they then had that, you would have a decent feeder system to proper titles. Oh, fully, fully agree, Ron. I, I, I couldn't agree with that anymore. Um, and like you said, the, the last solution is to add another belt. If they suddenly create the ring magazine belt, all you're doing is creating another world champion. You know, people aren't suddenly going to stop competing for a WBC title because they want a ring. Are they? It's, it's just another belt. We've got five world champions instead of four. No, I'm not a fan of the ring mat. You know, it, you know, it's convenient to use it right now. Like it pops up with Fury's name all the time. When you, you see that, I see these magazines, so and they play this thing. That's it. <laughs> oh. 
Right, so it's good to see um, seen some videos of Scott Fitzgerald back in the gym recently, looking pretty trim as well and pretty good. Uh, apparently, he's in there pretty consistently. Yeah. He's, he's stuck with it. Um, we've got a, a pretty exciting sort of mix at light middleweight in Britain. You know, you've got Metcalf, Eggington, Conway, Cheeseman, Fowler. But I do find myself wondering, I, I doubt in actually, if any of those guys are going to actually do anything at the world stage. You know, you can mix them all together and you're going to get exciting fights because of the styles. And I just think Scott might be the one who's got that, that X factor, that's something different about him. You know, um, I think it's common knowledge he didn't even train for the first Fowler fight. He, he, he was up to all sorts two weeks before, even a week before, and he still managed to produce that. I just wonder if out of this mix of light middleweights we've got in Britain, if Scott can keep his head together, stay in the gym, stay with Mike Jennings, he might be the one who's just got ambitions beyond sort of British and European level. Let's let's just see because look, he, he hasn't been very well at all the last year. He that you know, um, he's had a, a, a long time out, and this isn't just an injury, a physical injury. Like, he, you know, it's mental issues this poor fella's had. You know, and it's great he's back in the gym. And you know what? The good the good thing, not a good thing, is that during lockdown, he's because of lockdown, he hasn't lost anything on his rivals because you know. Fowler, Cheeseman, Metcalf, Eggington. No, you know, that they haven't really yet been able to kick on and go on to the world station. No one's really galloped ahead of him. Perhaps, you know, Hamza Shiraz has um, emerged and um, Kieran Smith is doing well, but no one's jumped ahead of him. And you know what? I just think I want to see, I don't want to see him jump straight back in a fight because uh, we don't know what could happen when he gets back in the ring. You know, what, what the great shame was, was he had that fight against Brian Rose was going to take place at Preston North End last July. And that, that's the fight for him this summer, I think. Some sort of comeback fight, and let's see how he is, and then the Brian Rose fight. But it, it, let's ju I'm, I'm just glad he's healthy again. It's more important than boxing. And he is the one that could kick on. I agree with you, John, But you know, because we know the talent that he is. I mean, if you go back to when he won the Commonwealth Games, he was ahead of Josh Kelly to get on that team. I mean, Kelly had his own problems outside the ring at the time. But from there, he just sort of faded off and faded off. And the start of his pro career was very, very quiet. And, and that's, in, in, you know, the problems he's had, you kind of see what might have been sort of like the source of all that. But, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think sometimes you overplan people's careers and their lives. And I think, you know, it's more important for Scott Fitzgerald to put his life together and get healthy and get on track than it is to be planning any big fights for him. And if he doesn't fight for a world title, he doesn't fight for a world title. The important thing is, you know, he, he gets his life together and moves forward. Yeah. Flying round five. First of all, that's why Ron should be, the nut is the number one on newspapers in this country, reminding everybody that Scott Fitzgerald was above Josh Kelly, outrageous thing just to throw out of nowhere, Ron. Anyway, I've wasted 20 seconds of Zelfer on that. Fantastic that you brought that up. Um, brilliant. Um, look, John, John, particularly, I'd like to hear from you. I mean, I just think Zelfer now, he's 26 fight. He's been a pro more than six years. He's 27. I still think there's too many people talking of him as a hopeful, a prospect. You know, He's got this fight next this weekend that's a semi-breakout fight, you know, against Kiko Martinez. You know, no disrespect to Kiko, but he's now just a gatekeeper. If you beat him, if you're kicking on. And I'd love the Archie Sharp fight or Cordina if he's staying at Super Featherweight. He had that one fight that, or Kakachi if he beat Woodstock. If not, I just want to see him really move on to the world stage now um, and people to stop talking about him as a prospect, you know, 
he, you know, one of the reasons he went to Eddie was because he believed he could become the next Manchester star. And I, I, I think it's just time now to just put, you know, thrust him into that limelight, put him in against guys like Samir Ziani, the solid European champion who had that great war with um, um, Alex Dilmagani a few months ago, or a guy like Andrew Cancio, who's just still on the fringes of world level. I think he just lost the world title fight. I think it's now time to stop talking of um, Zelfa as a prospect and throw him in against the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100% agree. I, I remember being on a Boxing Matters with Ron, actually, and we had to come up with prospects for the future. And Zelfa was on that, and that must be... God, that must be four years ago now. Um, God, I've known Zelfa since before he turned professional, and he's... Pat, Pat brought him along very slowly, but I, he's probably... 18 months behind where I thought he'd be. I know the Ronnie Clark fight kicked him back, but I actually think the Ronnie Clark fight was the best thing that could ever happen to him. He's um, a completely different person since that fight. Uh, the way he talks, the way he goes about things, what he wants to do. He knows what he can achieve now, um, but he's got to do it. I think this is the best matchmaking I've seen for a long while. You know, Kiko Martinez, so much smaller, competed at lower weights, but people are going to know him and he's going to come for a fight. And Zelfa's pretty confident at knocking him out in eight. If he does, then he can't go to fighting people like Craig Evans, which has been rumoured. Carry on, just go on for the next step. As you say, he's got a kid now and he's getting older and uh, we've really got to see what Zelfa can do because I, I think it's in him. And I think we'll see it on the biggest stage when he's got the biggest test in front of him. I think it's in him. I think, you know, Martinez is a good fight for him, but, you know, he, he must be much, much bigger than Martinez. Maybe. Although, you know, Martinez, oh God, I remember, remember, how long ago was it before he fought Bernard Dunn? That must be like oh, what, 12, 12 years ago. And Rendell Monroe? Did he come Rendell up? Yeah, that was after that, wasn't it? I was at that. Rendell Monroe. Yeah. Oh, it's long then. We'll come back to that one, Ron. We'll let you talk about that one after, but it's your final topic. Uh, yeah, essentially, I was going to do something else, but um, then I was, uh, I was watching an old episode with... Um, Gallo, and, and you were talking about three minutes around for, for women's boxing. Now, I think that's a great aspiration, but I don't think women's boxing is anywhere near that. I think there's a very big danger that women's boxing is good at the top level, but the strength in depth is really terrible. You just have to see. I mean, you know, Eddie's got this, Eddie Kerr's got this idea about this um, super featherweight unification, which is very good. But if you saw the, uh, did you see the, um, Hamadouche fight she had in uh, Italy against um, a Serbian. That that was for a world title fight. You know the opponents was it was a horrible mismatch. And you have to get to a level. If that had been three minute rounds, people could get hurt because there isn't. You remember the Ramler Ali fight she had with a a, um, a woman from uh, Germany came up. She won won one fight and it was saying you know if that was men you'd see oh well they're novices together kind of thing. But they were levels apart and. There isn't enough known about the people in women's boxing to actually know that strength in depth and to actually make good matches. And I think that is a big worry if you're looking at putting people in for three minutes. Yes, three minute rounds would be better. But I think one the most important thing for women's boxing right now is that the Olympics this year gets on because that is going to, after that, that is going to put a whole new wave of, of experienced boxers into professional boxing. And that will really be the massive boost for the sport because the people like Katie Taylor aren't going to be the people who take women's boxing up to the next level. It's the people who are now about 22, 23, and they're going to be doing it in four or five years and they're going to have that seasoned career behind them and hopefully a good amateur background behind them. That's what's going to turn, that's what's, you know, 
it's going to take a long, long time for it to get on the level with men's boxing. But that's what's going to turn it into a very, very competitive sport. It's, a, it's still a very young sport. And, and for all this thoughts of equality is a great thing to aim for. But I think you've got to be realistic about who's in the ring. And you worry matchmakers take advantage of people and you don't want to see people getting hurt and horrible mismatches because that would be very, very bad for the sport. Do you think there's any possible way they could perhaps introduce three-minute rounds at a certain level, Ron? Do you think that's worth That's, that's possible, yeah. I mean, I mean, the thing is, about 10-2s, I remember chatting to Robert Smith about this, and, and there is nothing to say that a 10-2s is a women's title fight. They make them at that. Well, there's nothing in Britain to say that. They can box three-minute rounds. There's nothing to stop them doing that. I, I think that can, but again, you know, there are different levels. And again, where you get in with the um, alphabet groups, why are there four world champions in all these in all these uh, weight classes? Because there are there are almost more champions than there are, you know, decent boxers. There are almost more more uh, champions than there are, are boxers who have had twenty wins. I tell you that for nothing. And that's an awkward situation because it's only you know you've got a situation with a boxer like Ebony Banks who is suddenly yeah. thrown into a vacant world title fight. Yeah. How on earth has that happened? You know, uh, someone who's had, had Four fights at a tiny level is suddenly being put forward for a world title fight and ranked number seven in the world. It's a dangerous situation because people can get hurt. Yeah. That's the time. Anyway, Ron, but well, just before you go, Ron, I, I waffled on a little bit about the Zelfa topic. What were you going to say? I think, yeah, I think uh, he's um, he's always looked exciting, isn't he, Zelfa? Zelfa's looks a really exciting talent. You know, he, he's got speed and he's got power. But you need to see it at a better level. You need to see it at a better level. And, you know, that level kind of is the very top in Britain at the moment. And that would be reasonably close to getting him on the fringe of world class at, at super featherweight. So, you know, but but it come, a lot of these things come back to the difference between boxing now and the boxing 20 years ago is that boxers don't box much. If you have people who box eight rounders or six rounders and they're boxing three or four times a year, they are not progressing quickly enough. And so you go from this six six round level to something into a twelve round title fight for a you know phony baloney title or indeed even a real title. And you know people have to box more, people have to be able to progress more. And again, that gets their names known, and and you know they move their careers on quicker. Zelfa hasn't really been busy enough and he hasn't been you know he hasn't been particularly inactive by modern standards but he could have done with actually being three or four fights more down the road now Ron fantastic as always um your opinion on counts for a lot is good and you always got something to say John's always got something to say and I know John will be excited for Zell for Saturday night so well I do I think he does a number on Kiko um like he says uh Fellas, thanks very much as always. Brilliant. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, John. Thanks, Steve, mate. For all boxing, info, news and latest interviews, Amateur and Pro, across and off, click and subscribe. VIP, boxing promotions. Also, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. <laughs>